0: Hi, I'm Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror, Horror show. show. What happened to your hand?
1: Oh, I burned it on the oven. I was making bread. Oh no. It was really painful and now it's starting to heal and it's looking worse it every day. It looks
0: really painful. Do you <laughs> do you need anything for it? I might have burned cream.
1: No, it's okay. I swathed it in Vaseline and Okay. As
0: long as you're good.
1: It's a price for baking your own bread. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so where are we? North Carolina. North Carolina. Mm, North Carolina. Um I have some fun, weird laws that are in North Carolina.
0: I love weird laws.
1: I know you do. That's why I found this especially for you. All right. First weird law in North Carolina. You can't use elephants to plow your cotton fields.
0: Damn it. So just Then why did I buy all these elephants?
1: <laughs> it's against the law to sing off key.
0: Well, then I know some people that should never go to North Carolina.
1: I know. Like, do cops do stings at karaoke clubs? <laughs> right. <That's> what's happening? <laughs>
0: Sometimes they might need to. Uh,
1: If a man and woman who aren't married go to a hotel and then register themselves as married, then according to state law, they are married.
0: Whoa. Okay. So quick, easy, cheap wedding, guys.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Organizations may not hold their meetings when members are presented in costumes.
0: So Halloween is out.
1: Well, as long as it's not like an official organization. Oh, okay. So no costume parties for the local VFW, I guess. What if
0: you're like a furry having like some sort of furry get together?
1: Well, as long as you're not part of the National Furry Alliance and that's what it's about, you're fine.
0: Okay. Is there such a thing?
1: I don't know. I I don't need to know. You just made that up. Okay. (laughs) Actually, no. Uh, bingo games may not last more than five hours and you're not allowed to drink alcohol while playing bingo.
0: Sorry, old people.
1: I know. That's like how I get through bingos. (laughs) It's illegal to rollerblade on state highways.
0: Well, it should be.
1: Yeah. I think that's a very, that's
0: not a very silly law. That's a very, um, very good law to have. I mean, I don't know why it needs to be even said, but
1: (laughs) visiting the dead after midnight is illegal.
0: Because they're gonna come back from the grave, I or know,
1: i I mean, I guess it's like the first step in zombie prevention, right?
0: might <laughs> be I mean, you have more to worry about in Louisiana than North Carolina, but
1: women are required to wear clothes that total sixteen yards. that means Daisy dukes are illegal.
0: Wow, okay,
1: <laughs> super weird law. It's illegal to practice as a professional psychic or fortune teller, but if you're an amateur, that's a okay
0: what. <laughs> Okay, that makes no sense. It
1: does not make any sense. Uh, you can get a DWI on a horse.
0: That's not surprising, actually. You can get one in a wheelchair. I know that much. I know you
1: can get one on a lawnmower, like a ride on lawnmower. Yeah. And a bicycle. Yes. So a horse. Which, out. I mean,
0: I, anyone that's enforcing that is just kind of dumb. But
1: And happy hours are illegal in North Carolina.
0: Happy hours are illegal, so they can't charge less for a
1: probably so happy hours are illegal in a couple states okay and usually it's one of those things where it's like you can't have like reduced pricing on certain days of the week unless you do it on all days of the week okay it's very odd the way people get around it in in states where it's outlawed but yeah it's a pretty common outlaw that's strange i think it's the idea that you don't want people to like binge drink yeah at a discount okay so north carolina stay strange man stay strange
0: speaking of strange and alcohol Everyone who's not from PA thinks that we're weird because we have state stores. We don't have any sort of private liquor stores. Everything is through the government.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's a, it's a an ordeal when you have to plan a party in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Because you have to go to the grocery store. And sometimes you can or cannot buy beer and wine there. Now. Yeah, now.
0: Only in the past few years, though.
1: And then if you want to have beer for your party, you have to go to a beer distributor. Yep. And then if you want wine or any kind of liquor, you have to go to a state store. So you... Pre- Possibly have like four stops to make. Yeah,
0: a lot of stops to make. Florida, you could buy it at a freaking gas station.
1: Yeah, most days. Yeah. You could buy it like wherever.
0: Yeah. So, Nicole, you got a fun story for us?
1: I do. I do. So, during my true crime story in Ohio, I mentioned my love of murder ballads. Yes. And that the story I covered of Louisa Fox's murder at the hands of Tom Carr reminded me of the murder ballad at Banks of the Ohio.
0: That's true. I remember that.
1: Well... As I explored some of North Carolina's true crime history, I discovered that the murders behind several popular Appalachian murder ballads actually happened in North Carolina. It wouldn't be a stretch to think of North Carolinians as like master murder ballateers. Is
0: that a real word?
1: North Carolinians? Yes. Or balleteers? No,
0: Carolinians.
1: <laughs> yes, it is a real word. So it's kind of interesting because I, I, I almost think of murder ballads as the the OG true crime story. Absolutely. Right? Set to music entertainment infotainment if you will
0: infotainment you love saying that
1: (laughs) i do i do so join me as we explore a couple of the crimes behind these american folk ballads all righty do tell now since north carolina has this strong folk music tradition i had a ton of songs to choose from it was almost a little too difficult but i I managed to make do okay i decided to go with two songs that had a pretty decent historical record because a lot of these songs don't have that okay and then these two songs as well seem to be pretty representative as a whole of the type of tales you hear in murder ballads.
0: Are you, are you going to sing them for us?
1: Hell no. But <laughs> because I love you roadsters.
0: It better not be off key. You'll get arrested.
1: <laughs> I did create a Spotify playlist. Um, so it includes the songs that I'm covering as well as some of my other favorite murder ballads. Nice. You guys can check it out on our Facebook. I have a link there to Spotify, our website. Or you could just go to Spotify and search Roadside Horror Show Murder Ballads and it should pop up for you.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah, this is all news to me. So I I I did not know about this.
1: I was busy this week, guys. So our first murder ballad is called Frankie Silver or the Confession of Frankie Silver or the Ballad of Frankie Silver. All right. It's written from the perspective of a woman who has been jailed and is heading to her execution for murdering her husband.
0: Oh, I didn't think Frankie was a girl.
1: Yes, Frankie's for Francis. Okay. For Francine.
0: I always thought that was like a cool spunky nickname for someone named Francis. Because Francis is such like a sweet, innocent name, Mm -hmm, you mm know?
1: Franny and then Frankie. Yeah. While the song doesn't delve into the nitty gritty of the murder, it does cover the woman's motive for murdering her husband. She was jealous. And her subsequent remorse for her crime before wrapping up with her acceptance of her impending doom.
0: Sounds pretty fun.
1: Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. There's a lot of murder battles there about this, about a criminal who uh, talks about their crime, regrets it, and then, you know, faces their inevitable fate. But the true story behind Frankie Silver isn't nearly as cut and dry as a jealous woman's murder of her husband. Okay. To dig into the real story, we're heading to Burke County, which is in western North Carolina. The county was created in 1777 and was mostly populated by Scots, Irish, and German immigrant farmers who developed a reputation for being fiercely independent. A notable feature of Burke County is Table Rock, a prominent peak on the eastern rim of the Linville Gorge, which is a really popular hiking spot in the county. Today, Burke County is about 515 square miles, but back in the 19th century, the county was much larger, stretching to include parts of the Toe River, which runs through North Carolina's Appalachian High Country. Okay. So in the 1830s, small family log cabins dotted the mountain and valleys along the Tow River in Burke County. In one particular single room cabin lived 20-year-old Charlie Silver and his teenage wife, Frances Stewart Silver, who most people called Frankie. Charlie's been described as a strong, charming young man with a talent for playing the fife and who loved to dance. And Frankie was a, quote, bright-eyed, very pretty little woman. The couple had been married in 1830 and moved into the cabin, a wedding present from Charlie's family, and then shortly afterwards they had a daughter named Nancy. On December 23rd, 1831, Frankie visited Charlie's parents on the next ridge to see if they had seen her husband, who had been out on a hunting trip but was late returning home. Charlie's father checked with a friend who was supposedly accompanying Charlie on his hunting trip, but the friend said he hadn't seen Charlie in weeks. Fearing the worst, his father gathered a group of men to search along the Toe River and the nearby woods where Charlie liked to hunt. When the search party failed to turn up any signs of Charlie, they returned to the couple's cabin. And that's where Charlie's father noticed that the equipment and winter outerwear that his son would have taken with him on the hunting trip was still present. Huh. Suspicious. Yes. So suspecting foul play, the search party examined the cabin and noticed what looked like bloodstains on the floorboards. When they pulled the boards up, they discovered a pool of drying blood and charred human remains.
0: Oh, this is cheery.
1: Mm -hmm. Checking the fireplace, small bits of bone and greasy ashes were found. Later, they discovered Charlie's head and torso hastily buried outside the cabin. Well. Quite the Christmas.
0: I took the worst time to take a sip of my drink. (laughs)
1: So, of course, Frankie was quickly arrested along with her mother and brother who were suspected of helping Frankie dismember and dispose of the body. Mostly because Frankie, again, was a little petite woman. I think some of the resources I found said that she was like about 90 pounds. Yeah. Like tiny, tiny woman.
0: Huh. Now I'm wondering how she did it.
1: Well, and that's the interesting thing. Her husband, Charlie, was well over six feet tall. Oh, shit. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Well, I mean, in a rage. You can do a lot (laughs) like anger muscles when I was working mental health. I broke up a fight between two guys that were well over 300 pounds. So it's possible.
1: You're pissed off, huh?
0: Yeah, I was just like this is not fucking happening today. (laughs) It is past nine o'clock. I have two more hours on my shift and I just want to sit and relax. (laughs)
1: So although the charges against uh, Frankie's mother and brother were eventually dropped, she went to trial in March of 1832. She pled not guilty. Over her two-day trial, prosecution witnesses, mostly they were friends of Charlie's and Charlie's family members, painted her as this insanely jealous wife who murdered her husband with an axe while he slept. Uh, How they knew this, nobody knows. A lot of their testimony sounded like eyewitness testimony. Yeah, that sounds like
0: some insider information. I watched as she killed him. It was terrible. (laughs) He was such a good man. What? Are you serious?
1: Yeah. It was pretty intense. In particular, uh, Charlie's one brother was like, and he was asleep, and she just attacked him. Like, how would you know?
0: How would you know? Yeah.
1: And plus, all the evidence they have, basically the dismembered body, the acts, they were all kind of circumstantial. They didn't actually have any proof that Frankie did it. Yeah. Now... The unfortunate thing is that due to 19th century laws, Frankie couldn't def- testify in her own defense. So we actually never heard her side of the story. in court. Oh, shit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So an all-male jury eventually found her guilty, surprise, and sentenced her to hang, which is a pretty unfortunate thing. She would have been the first woman to be hanged in North Carolina's Burke County. Oh, wow. It's an unfortunate first for, for ladies. I Why guess.
0: are we doing all of these stories about, um, like capital punishment and like being like the first of like you know whatever
1: i guess i'm just good at finding them yeah because i mean i did i don't look for me i did one you
0: did like five uh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) so her execution was set for June of the following year uh there were a couple attempts at appealing the sentence and they all failed so frankie decided to do the only thing she could do which was tell her side of the story to the judge in hopes of clemency okay Now, we don't have any documentation of her confession, mostly because Frankie was illiterate, so she verbally told the judge this information.
0: God, flashing back to freeway.
1: (laughs) Sure, I did nothing wrong. (laughs) Now, according to Frankie, Charlie had returned to their cabin on the night of December 22nd, 1831, drunk and in a foul mood. He had drank often during their marriage and usually became abusive. But that night, he had threatened to kill her and their baby daughter, Nancy. While Charlie drunkenly attempted to load a shotgun, Frankie grabbed the only weapon at her disposal, the nearby axe, and swung it at him in self-defense. So her story gets out and people start to view her more sympathetically, being like she was trying to save her her life, her daughter's life. It was an accident. Never mind that whole she chopped him up and tried to burn him thing. Yeah. I guess that was just par for the course. It's
0: a really easy thing to overlook. I mean, come on.
1: (laughs) Either way, there was a bunch of calls for her pardon or maybe commuting her life, her sentence to life in jail versus execution, Um, including seven of the original jurors. They like reached out to the governor at the time and to ask them to commute her sentence. Oh, wow. Now, the governor who had just... That's a
0: big change of heart.
1: Yeah, right? And that like a little suspicious, I guess. Yeah. I guess that's why people can testify on their own defense now. Uh, The governor was sympathetic, but he had just been elected and didn't want to appear soft on crime. So he refused to commute her sentence.
0: Okay.
1: Desperate to save their daughter's life, Frankie's family decided to break her out of jail.
0: Oh, that's smart.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is kind of like, you know, it's the 1830s in North Carolina. So it's sort of a little bit like I forgot how long ago it was. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily, the jailer was sympathetic and they managed to sneak her out of the jail by dressing her as her brother. And then they headed for the Tennessee border
0: because drag is always a good choice.
1: (laughs) I mean, when you're looking for a lady named Frankie. (laughs) No, this is my little son, Frank. (laughs) Unfortunately, local authorities caught up with Frankie, her father and uncle, and she was returned to jail after about a week. Of course. And inevitably, she was hanged in front of several hundred people on July 1st, 1833. The Ballad of Frankie Silver, which is supposedly based on this confession of being a teenage axe murderer that she gave the judge... First appeared in print, however, some 50 years later in 1885. Okay, And since then, it's been a typical murder ballad. It's more folk music. There aren't a lot of popular recordings. It's not something like you would hear Johnny Cash cover. It's more something you'd hear like bluegrass artist cover. Okay. But it does basically trace her remorse at murdering her husband without talking expressly about how she did it. Yeah. It's just about him dying and fading away. It's very poetic. And then also, it doesn't talk about her being hanged. It talks about how she feels like um what is the line it's like a dark and dismal day god's kingdom's closed to me and it's oh, like oh shit ooh, wow dang. <laughs> so that is the ballad of frankie silver I like
0: it um I mean I don't like it cuz someone died but I do like it cuz it was interesting and I don't know it it was very strange to me because mm-hmm. it's like you have these people who basically said like i pretty much saw her do this even though they weren't anywhere around it would seem and i don't believe her story
1: it's a little suspicious right? and i don't
0: believe their story mm-hmm. so what actually happened
1: so when i was doing my research i did come across this interesting article that talked a little bit more about like the local community along the Till river yeah and they said that the Silver family was actually relatively wealthy, like they owned a lot of land.
0: All like right. they
1: had given Charlie and Frankie the cabin they lived in, and the Stewart family, Frankie's family, was kind of poor. Like they only had one like subsistence farm that like they all lived on, and there was a sentiment among the Silver family that they had either Frankie or Frankie's brother and father had killed Charlie in the attempt at like a land grab to yeah. like take the family. Uh, to grab like their land that their cabin was on and like, expand the family holdings. Okay. And it was interesting because most of the prosecution was financed by the Silver family. Like, Damn, and they it's brought like in an lawyers. episode of Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> it's it was. I'm like, oh, that's cr- that's kind of like interesting, but <sighs> like the intrigues of this like small Appalachian community. I know, right? And then also the fact that she was like an axe murdering. Yeah. Like I can think of like Lizzie Borden. Yeah. And uh, Mal, no, Belle Gunness.
0: I don't know that name.
1: She was like a. I want to say somewhere out in the Midwest. She like m- murdered several gents with an ax. Okay. But I'll have to look her up. And there are only two like lady ax murderers or suspected ax murderers. Yeah. That I can think of. And then of course, poor Frankie silver. Oh, wow. Yeah. So for my next murder ballad.
0: Oh yes. Do tell.
1: <laughs> my next murder ballad is poor Ellen Smith. And you might've heard of this one. It's a little bit more popular it's a more widely known song thanks to recordings by more popular musicians like the Kingston Trio, who recorded it in the late 50s or 60s. I know who they are. Yeah. And also, Jimmy Martin, aka the King of Bluegrass.
0: I know who he is, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm they, not a Bluegrass fan, though.
1: I weirdly know who Jimmy Martin is, too. And yeah. I'm like kind of like only minorly like, oh, I can listen to Bluegrass music and not immediately turn it off. Yeah. But I don't have any, like, Bluegrass albums or anything. It's
0: funny. I don't know. My sister... She loves bluegrass and she loves country and all this. I cannot stand it. <laughs> like I said, some older country I can deal mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. But other than that, nope, not touching it.
1: I feel you. I feel you. So poor Ellen Smith is surprised about the murder of the eponymous Ellen Smith, who was found shot through the heart, dead on the ground, according to the lyrics. And you're to blame. I'm not to blame.
0: You give love a bad name. <gasps>
1: Is that a murder ballad too?
0: It might be. I mean, hey, (laughs) sounds like this story you're about to tell me.
1: So this song uh, is narrated by Ellen's lover and accused murderer, who is now serving time in prison for her murder. Interestingly enough, there are actually two variants of the lyrics. In one version of the song, the narrator talks about how he's innocent of hurting his poor little darling. And in the other version, he admits his guilt at the end of the song. So this got me thinking, because this t- crime is pretty well documented since it happened towards the end of the 19th century. Yeah. Exactly what happened and why are there two different variants on this murder ballot? That's strange, yeah. So to find out which version is closest to the coup crime, we're heading to Winston-Salem, North Carolina.
0: All right, cigarette time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what my wife said, too. I'm like, you've heard of Winston-Salem? She's like, the cigarettes. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. So Winston Salem is the There were
0: Flintstones ads for them. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was like Barney and Fred like taking a break from work and um like Fred like lights up a Winston or a Salem or one of them, you know, and he's just like, Oh yes, the Winston Salem cigarette company and all this stuff like that, and he's just like Oh, yes. Feel the nice relaxation. Here you go, Barney. And Barney's like, oh, that is good, Fred. You know,
1: Aren't cavemen's life short enough with all that brontosaurus meat <laughs> they're eating and it's just, it's running so from weird. dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> so Winston-Salem, uh, that's our stop, and it's the fourth largest metro area in North Carolina. It's also apparently the 89th most populous city in the U.S. Huh, okay. I didn't know that. It was founded by Moravian Church missionaries in 1753, and Winston-Salem has a long history as a Southern industrial center with an inclination towards the arts and innovation. Okay. It's home to at least six colleges and universities, including Wakefield University. I've heard of it. And also home to several notable businesses, such as, surprise, J.R. Reynolds Tobacco Company, Mm -hmm. Haynes Brand, like the underwear people, Yeah, McLean Trucking. And Krispy Kreme.
0: Krispy Kreme. Yeah,
1: Krispy Kreme was founded in Winston-Salem. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Now, Winston-Salem seems like a pretty awesome place to visit. There's lots to do for pretty much anyone. You can find everything from history museums and to av- cigarettes to cigarettes, <laughs> to donuts. <laughs> there, well, there's history museums, there's a bunch of avant-garde art galleries because they have a very vivid uh, art scene, unique shopping and dining options. A ton of gorgeous outdoor recreation space since they're again still in Appalachia, and they do lots of annual events like the River Run International Film Festival. Okay. The North Carolina Wine Festival. Ooh. The National Black Theater Festival. Okay. And the Winston Salem Open, which is a professional tennis tournament that they played just prior to the U.S. Open.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm not a tennis person though.
1: No, me either. It's
0: just a bunch of watching people's heads back (laughs) and forth and back and forth.
1: (laughs) Back in the 1890s, Winston-Salem was still a bustling place. Its population had doubled in the past decade, and due to the railroad connections it had, it was the largest tobacco market in the country and a hub for textiles in the South.
0: So many textiles, so little time.
1: So many railroads, so little time. (laughs) Mine
0: has railroads too, my story.
1: Chugga, chugga, choo, choo. So it has this like entrepreneurial spirit going on and the promise of opportunity that called to a lot of folks who were living in the rural lands surrounding Winston-Salem. A lot of folks would come into the city looking for work. One of those was a young woman named Ellen Smith. Now, she was born in nearby Yadkin County, which today is like a big wine area in North Carolina, but okay. back then was relatively poor, relatively rural. Ellen came to Winston-Salem as a young teenager and got a job as a maid in okay. a private home. So by 1890, she's still working as a maid. She's about 17 years old. and some of the sources I found, she's described as mentally challenged okay, or slow. It could have just been the fact that she was a woman from a rural area who probably wasn't well educated. Yeah. Other I mean, sources, what,
0: what time was this? What year? 1890s. Okay. Yeah, probably not big on the education. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, And other sources also described her as, quote-unquote, mulatto.
0: Okay, so she's half black, half white.
1: Well, that's the weird thing. Apparently, at the time, that was just a broad term for anybody whose skin tone indicated they could have a mixed-race background. So she could have been part Native American. Oh, so
0: I could be as well. Okay.
1: Anybody who can tan, basically, could have been considered a mulatto. Huh. So no one really knows. But all the sources did agree that despite being possibly slow and possibly not totally white... She was a very attractive young woman with dark hair and dark eyes. Okay. It's also around 1890 when she first meets Peter de Graff. Now, Peter de Graff was a a slightly built man with light hair, a prominent nose, mustache that was quite a prominent feature on his face.
0: Oh, no. Was it like a big handlebar mustache? Mm -hmm. Oh, Mm -hmm. lovely.
1: Striking blue eyes, and he loved to dress very fashionably despite not having any form of stable employment.
0: Oh, well, who doesn't? Mm-hmm. Oh, not me. I mean, He's I, a dapper, I, handled... I dress for comfort, honestly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's a sharp-dressed dandy with no job. Nice. Uh, Ellen, of course, is immediately taken with him.
0: Of course. Who wouldn't be?
1: I mean, exactly.
0: No job. I'm there.
1: Beautiful eyes. You have more
0: time for me, then.
1: Get lost in your eyes and mustache. And
0: mustache, because there's so much of it.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, Peter DeGraff also had a pretty bad reputation around town. Okay. He was fond of drinking, fighting, and he loved to carry pistols and show them off to people.
0: Just my type. Where can I sign up?
1: <laughs> At the age of 16, he even escaped from jail while serving a sentence for theft.
0: God, it sounds like my one ex back in high school.
1: Well, And here's the weird thing. Apparently, nobody really cared that he like broke out of jail. Like He continued to live in Winston-Salem without any real repercussions. Or <laughs> no any... one gave a yeah, shit. No one gave a shit. <laughs> and then there was also the fact that Peter DeGraff had a pretty shitty relationship past too. Uh, he was notorious for having these flings with women and then kind of tossing them over. Uh, one of his former girlfriends had actually turned up dead under mysterious circumstances. And the rumor mill said that De Graff may have been involved in her demise somehow. Oh, great. Regardless, Alan thought he was the bee's fucking knees. Of course. And they start seeing each other and they spend time socializing in taverns, going out for dinner and shopping at local merchants. To the point where De Graff, who, again, didn't have a stable job, he kind of did day laboring and then probably was also like a thief. Yeah. Set up accounts for Ellen at certain merchants so she could buy herself things like candy and new dresses and things like that.
0: Who doesn't love candy and new dresses?
1: hmm Exactly. Sign me up. <laughs> mustaches. So by 1891, Ellen's pregnant. Surprise. Oh, okay. And her relationship with DeGraff has cooled. She lies to her employer about taking a job somewhere else and she goes back home to Yadkin County to give birth. Now, the records indicate that the baby... It is her
0: secret shame, apparently.
1: Yeah, it's very soapy, right? Yeah. So, the records indicate that the baby either was stillborn or it died shortly after birth. It's a little bit unclear. Either way, the baby didn't survive. And she ends up going back to Winston-Salem in early 1892. Okay. She manages to get employment at her previous job. And she also picks things back up with the graph. So again, they start their whole romance around town, go to taverns, dining out, and he's buying her things again. By spring 1892, surprise, Ellen's pregnant again. Okay. Now, I couldn't really find out exactly what happened next. Maybe Ellen started pressuring De Graff to marry her and make it official, or maybe he was just like totally over her at that point, especially now that she was pregnant again and was just like, ugh, yeah. can you can find somebody else. Either way, though, their relationship cooled off and DeGraff started telling people that he and Ellen were no longer seeing each other. He kind of shut down all of her accounts uh, at the local merchants so she could no longer get things like candy and pretty dresses. Damn. They were they were over. They weren't engaged. He was very like clear about telling folks that. Regardless, Ellen persisted. She really, really liked him, and she started showing up at the taverns that he loved to frequent, and basically started following him around the city whenever she could. Oh, great! So obviously, DeGrasse,
0: she's pretty much like, "You have such a great mustache. Just come back and quicken my womb once more."
1: You know what I picture? Actually, I picture um, like those teen movies where it's like the girlfriend who like got dumped, and it's just like, "Wait, where are you? Come here!" And like you're running away. <sighs> and particularly, like, she's the man, Sebastian. And-
0: See, I don't know. Pretty much just because I have been watching Buffy. Um, I'm thinking of the robot that's like, it's Warren here. Hi, do you know Warren? Where is Warren? He is my boyfriend. I love him. Do you yes. know where he is?
1: That is pretty much Ellen. Yeah. Smith. So deGraf is super frustrated and he kind of like flips out at Ellen one day and he's like, listen, if you don't leave me the hell alone, I swear to God, I will shoot you. Leave me alone. And then he starts to actively avoid her. So like he'll see Ellen coming down the street and he'll duck into a shop. Just oh, great. So she, meanwhile, is pregnant, still working as a maid, and the spring slowly turns to summer. Then, by m- in mid-July, Ellen receives a sweet, loving note from De Graff. He asks her to meet him at the wooded pleasure grounds behind the newly built Ziesendorf Hotel, which is like pleasure the... Pleasure grand- grounds? Yeah, it was basically like... Think of it as like a park or a garden. There was like a spring there that people would go and like relax on their days off and picnic at, that kind of thing. See, just like Pleasure pleasure Beach. Pleasure Beach.
0: I don't like Pleasure Grounds either.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Ellen is, of course, super stoked and is like, we're totally going to get back together. This is awesome. And she puts on her best blue dress and heads over to the Zindorf Hotel to meet De On July 20th, Ellen Smith is found dead behind... The Ziesendorf Hotel in the woods.
0: Oh, so he was just kind of like, "Well, this bitch is getting annoying. Guess I should kill her."
1: She had been shot once in the chest. The muzzle of the gun was so close that That it
0: left the yeah, okay, yeah, it had the powder burns on the
1: on the blue material. In her pocket was also the love note that De Graff had sent her, asking him to meet her there. Oh shit!
0: Well, you should have covered your tracks better than that, dude.
1: Yeah, he didn't do anything. You
0: can't just hide behind that handlebar mustache forever. I mean...
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, a warrant's issued for Peter DeGraff's arrest, and the local sheriff organizes a manhunt. Uh, DeGraff is actually, for once, smart about it. He lays low for a few days, and then he hops on a train and ends up 35 miles north in Mount Airy, North Carolina. Okay. He ends up getting a job at a sawmill just outside Mount Airy, and he lives there... Mount Airy, like the
0: casino. Yeah. Okay.
1: But... Different, cause it's in but North different because it's in North Carolina. <laughs> so he lives there under an assumed name for about 11 months. Then for some unknown reason, graph's like, you know what? I'm just going to have a day trip back to Winston-Salem for, for, for shits and gigs. You know.
0: Shits and gigs. All shits right. and gigs. That's, Maybe some terabytes, too. But
1: that's basically why. He goes back to Winston-Salem in June of 1893, starts going to his usual taverns and hanging out with the guys and he's so- like
0: no one cared when i escaped from prison they're not gonna care that i murdered someone i mean uh,
1: pretty much yeah it's like it's been a year no one's come looking for him exactly why not you're good and not so much he's quickly arrested once they realize that he's oh. back in town
0: but it's like i can shave my mustache no one will notice me <laughs>
1: <laughs> so once he's imprisoned uh his trial then starts on august 11th 1893 and of course the whole time De graph fiercely Proclaims his innocence. He's like, I didn't do it. Why would I kill her? I just wanted her to leave me the heck alone. I have been framed. Of course. So his trial lasts three days. And over those three days, 42 witnesses testify about DeGraf's relationship with Ellen Smith and all the events around the end of it. Basically, really damning evidence about him talking about how he just wants her to leave him alone. He wishes she would just die. He doesn't know why she's bothering him. She's pregnant, and it's not—it's not his kid. Yada yada yada. Oh, great. But it didn't really matter in the end because the most damning piece of evidence was indeed the note that was I have to say that letter that he signed.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yep. Said you're loving Peter, um, that they found on Ellen's body. So of course the jury finds him guilty, and he's sentenced to death. Okay. Now he's waiting for his execution date, which was February eighth, eighteen ninety four. He continues to say he's innocent up until he gets to the gallows. So he climbs up to the gallows in front of thousands of people who come to see him be hanged. And it was kind of like almost had the like this like feel of like almost like a festive day. Yeah, and people came out to picnic. It was very odd reading about you know. It reminded me a lot of like um, how you hear about the hangings in London in the 18th century, how it was like a big day out. Yeah. That's kind of how uh, Peter de Grasse's execution day was. It was okay. a big day out for Winston-Salem. Every now, time you
0: say his last name, I just think of de Grasse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So he gets on top of the gallows and it kind of overwhelms him. And that's when he finally confesses to killing Ellen. He says, quote, my hands have been stained in blood. I've kept it back for months. God told me to. Yes, I shot that woman.
0: Yeah, everyone knew that already, dude. You don't really need to confess.
1: Dear Peter, it's a bit late for that. Yeah, right? But he wasn't done. He kind of is a little bit of a showman, so he keeps going on. And he ends up trying to give advice to the crowd. He says, quote, young men, don't drink liquor. Don't gamble. Don't go with fast women. Because if you do, (laughs) they will do to you what they are about to do to me
0: god he's just as bad as freaking um oh god why am i blanking on this name again like the serial killer ted bundy there we go um (laughs) just as bad as ted bundy because he's just like oh pornography that's why
1: (laughs) it was liquor and gambling
0: i'm just like are you you serious right now
1: (laughs) well and it's interesting because like as he's like telling people yes i did it i did it i was drunk i didn't mean to blah blah blah. it got out of hand that's his his, like Well, drinking does
0: you know lower your inhibitions, but But still
1: he's somebody who loved himself some guns. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. Uh, That was pretty much the last thing he said, warning young men not to fall into vice before they lowered the black hood over his head and hanged him. All right. Now it was interesting because like after doing all the research about what actually occurred with Ellen Smith's murder, I went back and like listened to both versions of the songs. Yeah. And it seems like, they're both kind of true. They both ring sort of true when you listen they to them. They have like bits and pieces of each yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I like them both still. Um, I tend to like the one a little bit more where uh, he confesses because it seems to be just more well rounded. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Listeners, you're welcome to listen to the versions.
0: Absolutely. I encourage that as well.
1: Yeah. So, Eden, what do you think about one, Ellen Smith, and then also Murder Ballads?
0: Uh first of all, love murder ballads because they are very interesting. Uh second of all, this was really cool. I'm glad that you did this. I really like the research that you put into it. I think, you know, bravo, good job. Thanks, thanks. There were um, so
1: many murder ballads. It was hard to choose one, just just two.
0: No, if I found like two conflicting like songs like that, I'd be like, "Well, what the fuck really did happen? Why don't mm-hmm. you tell me?" So, I I would look it up too. Um but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um I guess I really shouldn't enjoy that, but we all enjoy true crime. That's why you're listening to this. So, um <laughs> I'm not the weird one here for once. Um I really liked it. Yeah. Um it's a sad tale, of course, mm-hmm. because yeah, she just are. she just wanted love from a mustachioed man. I mean, who doesn't? Okay, well, I don't I don't know. I don't you want a big handlebar mustache. I, you can buy me candy, though. Oh. All the candy. Did I tell you about the dating website thing?
1: No. Did you get free candy?
0: No, but uh, it has to do with free candy, kind of. (laughs) Um, So I was just like, let's give OKCupid another try, because it was like, these people like you. It's over 100 people. You want to see them, don't you? You want to know who they are. Log back in. And they're like, log back in and pay us money. (laughs) This is at the beginning of the the quarantine, by the way. Mm. So I was bored, alone in my house. With nothing to hence do, hence why there's a hundred people who are like, "Hey, yeah." Um, so I was just like, "Okay, I kind of do want to see who they are." So I ended up paying them a little money for one month, mm-hmm. and they were exactly what I expected them to be—nothing worthwhile. Did you get candy? Then? I did realize. See, here's the candy thing, and it's not actually anything about candy, but it's you can you can draw the the conclusion of where I was going with this thought. I realized that I would be that person. That when someone says, I've got a puppy in this van. Do you want to see it? I'd be like, okay. Because every person, because they have like the the Tinder type thing with the swiping left and right. I don't know which one's which anymore. But every person that had a dog in their profile picture, I'd be like, yes, I would like to meet you. I don't care (laughs) about any of the stuff on your profile, what you look like, anything. If you have a dog, I want to meet you. Your dog's pretty cute. I might not date you, but I will play with your dog for like seven hours <laughs> yeah I realize that's like the big thing for me is dogs if you have a dog I will fall in love with you madly madly in love with you and Hot if you tip, give listener. me candy yeah Hot tip especially if it's Reese's peanut butter cups
1: so what I've learned Eden is that your perfect seduction is paying for a romantic getaway where the dog comes and also you get okay good don't candy, say the
0: dog comes because that sounded really <laughs> bad
1: Dog comes along. Okay, there we go. And you get good candy, not that bullshit Whitman sampler. No,
0: exactly. Yes. <laughs> that is the way to my heart, listeners.
1: Uh, well, on that note, my sources for today's story were Wikipedia, Mental Floss, Murder by Gaslight, North Carolina History.org, Medium.com, Visit Winstonsalem.com, WFMYNews.com, Forsyth County Public Library.org, triadcitybeat.com and the New York Times.
0: Nice. I love how you did suddenly newscaster voice and the New York Times. <laughs> um, but uh, I, try, I, try. I love how Murder by Gaslight made, a you know, appearance again. Oh, of course. Because, awesome website. Everyone check that website out yeah, if because you wanna, it is great.
1: They have a whole like article about uh, murder ballots that take place in North Carolina. Oh, cool. And like I was like, how did, oh my God, we're like in sync. I love you, Murder by Gaslight. yeah. So it was a good a good jumping off point.
0: Um what was I gonna also say about about your sources? I had something else to say. Oh yeah, medium was one that I used last week. So
1: Yeah, medium's pretty pretty decent. Yeah, they're pretty good. I dig it.
0: All right. I guess we will take a short break and then you're gonna get a twofer from me as well. So
1: <gasps> Oh my god, this is like a quadruple threat. It is. All right. See you soon, roadsters.
0: And we are back. We're back. I have tried to sound like, you know, not so cheery, Nicole. God.
1: Sorry. (laughs) We're back.
0: Thanks, Eeyore. (laughs) Um, So I have, like I said, two stories for you.
1: I'm very excited. Double my trouble.
0: Double your trouble and double your fun. Uh, Well, last week you talked about um, the Biltmore. I did. So if any of our listeners want to tour the Biltmore... They can stay at the hotel I'm about to talk about, mm. which is probably half an hour away, maybe a little more. Okay, cool. Uh, it's in a place called Balsam, which is in Jackson County. It's named for the trees in the area. This is a small mountain town of a little over three square miles and has a population of less than 50 people.
1: Wow. I think that it's is... like
0: 49 people.
1: Wow. That's like... Is that even a town at that point? Yeah,
0: really? It's like a, I don't know. A community? Maybe,
1: yeah. A
0: small gathering? Small
1: gathering. <laughs> <laughs> a block uh, party? I don't know. It's
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty small. Uh, if you enjoy nature and history, it's a really cool little town. It was known for its railroads and was a big travel destination between the late 19th century and the early 20th century. Okay. Not much remains of this town's former glory, though. Certain things have been kept, such as the old schoolhouse, which is now a community center. Uh, this store that's called Knight's Store, I'm assuming it was someone's last name, which closed in the 70s, but the building is still up. And it's just really cool to look at. The one thing that is still standing and still used for the same purpose is also the star of my first story today. That's right. I have two. Mm-hmm. I already mentioned that, so that part in my notes I shouldn't have read, but whatever. <laughs> This is the story of the Grand Old Lady Hotel.
1: Grand Old Lady, that's a name?
0: Yes, that's a name. All right. Like I touched upon briefly, the town of Balsam was a big tourist attraction due to its natural beauty and the railroad, which was something we might scoff at now. But back then, it was a big deal. So these tourists would come from Asheville and they needed somewhere to stay. So to accommodate this need they made the Grand Old Lady Hotel. There were, in fact, plenty of inns in the town, but this is the only one still standing to this day. This place is huge and on 26 acres and clocks in at 43,000 square feet.
1: Dang, that is huge. Yes. Is
0: that like the whole town? Like
1: <laughs> Everyone works there. Every single person.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was built between 1905 and 1908. It's situated in a pass between two mountain ranges, the Plot Balsam And the Richland Balsam. They got very creative with these names around here. I was going to
1: say, I love those candles.
0: (laughs) Back at this point when it opened up until last year for that matter, it was called the Balsam Mountain Springs Hotel. It was owned and operated by two brothers-in-law called Joseph Kennedy and Walter Christie. Okay. These two already ran a boarding house in the area and were originally from Athens, Georgia. This inn has been known for its food from day one. These guys were also avid hunters and fishermen. So they would have all sorts of fresh fish and seafood in the restaurant and in the hotel.
1: So like farm to table before farm to table is a thing. Pretty much, yeah. Cool. Very fresh. Locally sourced.
0: (laughs) It was hipster before hipster was hipster. (laughs) At this point, this place had 100 rooms. From what I found now, it has 50 in operation. So I don't know what they're doing with the rest of them, but something. Since this town was mostly accessible by railway travel, the corridors of the hotel were made to be extra wide to make room for everyone's steamer trunks coming through. That's cool. Because those suckers are big.
1: They are. They are.
0: This place is also known for its amazing views, as you would imagine, since it's in the Appalachian Mountains. But what you don't know is that this place has two 100-foot porches to take everything in on. Wow. Yeah. Nice big porches. It looks like a gigantic plantation home. God, gotcha. Is what it looks like. It's beautiful. I
1: love porch living.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Its current name comes from the nickname that was given to it, which is the Grand Old Lady of Balsam.
1: I understand now. It makes a lot more sense.
0: As I mentioned... There were tons of hotels to stay at in this area, and since it was so busy at the time, I'm assuming that they all got a fair amount of business, yet this is the only one remaining today. Curious as to why? Was it the porch? I will tell you. I'm sure the porch had a lot to do with it, but... Porch is. Sorry. Plural. Other than the fact that this hotel was on a hill, offering better views, and had amazing food, the other hotels had a leg up on the competition by just being more accessible since they were closer to the road
1: mm-hmm.
0: most of these ended up falling into disrepair over the years though and a lot of the other ones caught fire because for some reason every time that i tell a story it needs to have a place to catch on fire <laughs> i don't get it either you're also probably wondering why this town stopped being such a tourist hotspot right mm-hmm. even though it was big on trains and that died out they still had the mountains and stuff well think the tv show Bates Motel. Oh. They built two highways, US 23 and US 74, which run through Balsam Gap. So there wasn't much reason to stay in the area anymore for people. This was probably much of the downfall of the entire town, and things started closing left and right.
1: Yeah, so it's like it's more of like a drive around country. Exactly.
0: Now it's just like, oh, we can just bypass this whole area. Mm-hmm. This hotel was still active and doing some business up until the late 80s when it was shut down. Probably the only reason it remained standing at this point is because it was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1982. The reason it's back open today is by happy accident, really. A woman named Mary Teasley, who was from Tennessee and had run inns before, stumbled upon the place while driving through with a friend one night and decided to buy the place huh. she purchased it in 1990 and began fixing it up because this place really needed some TLC
1: I imagine it had not been used for like 10 years probably yeah
0: and it was just not the greatest um, before this remodel the hotel used shared bathrooms which might have been cool back in the day because back when this thing opened it was nice just to have any sort of bathroom mm. But now each room has its own bathroom. And as we discussed before, anything else is just a deal breaker for me.
1: You don't want to be rushed and you want your privacy. Exactly.
0: So some of the bathrooms have these beautiful clawfoot tubs. Others have showers and some have both.
1: Is it a clawfoot tub shower? I don't know. Those are dangerous. Those are dangerous. We have one growing up. My mom hated it.
0: Since this place is pretty much in the middle of nowhere, Installing all those bathrooms was a pain in the ass to put it bluntly. There's no municipal water or sewer. So basically around the property, there are drain fields and pump stations during the remodel. They also rewired everything because I doubt the electric in there was any good at all at this point. It was probably like knob and tube or, you know, other crap.
1: Mouse tail and whisker. Yes, exactly. By
0: 1991, The first and second floor were open to guests, and four years later, they decided to open the third floor, which hadn't been used since the Depression, and it was in absolutely horrible shape. This floor was also a challenge because the roof wasn't the greatest, and the water was quote-unquote gravity-fed, which sucked for getting water up to the third floor. Mm -hmm. The inn was sold again in 2017 to the current owner and once again refurbished. Again, new electric, new plumbing, new linens, that sort of thing. They did, however, keep the antiques, of course, as well as acquire some new ones. Uh, Funny thing about that is I read some reviews on TripAdvisor hoping to find good haunting stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't find anything. But, um, like, all these reviews are like, oh, it's great. The breakfast is amazing. All this is wonderful. And I think these are like the 2018, 19 ones. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then like one from late 2008 that was just like, I'm never staying in this fucking shithole again. This place is terrible. <laughs> yeah. They're like, the linens are so old. You can't even sleep on them because they're just disgusting. Um, the complimentary breakfast was just like these tiny, like half inch square pieces of, uh, French toast. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're
1: they are posted stamp size, French toast.
0: Yeah. Basically they just were saying that everything was complete shit so that's
1: cool it turned around though yeah
0: it reopened after this in 2018 and it's doing pretty well it's just as beautiful as ever and still has all the old world charm today it boasts high-speed internet hair dryers and coffee makers in the rooms air conditioning in each room complimentary breakfast and a variety of activities there's a painting gallery that i tried to look up but couldn't really figure out like if it was like there's paintings hung here Or, you can paint here.
1: Probably there's paintings hung here. Yeah,
0: so it's one of the two. Um, There's a library with over 2,000 books. A game room. A full bar and restaurant. And the rooms are pet-friendly with a few stipulations. There are breed restrictions, which, don't get me started on this because it makes me really mad in places like, no pit bulls because they're vicious. The only way I've ever been attacked by a pit bull is when it was giving me kisses. Mm Mm-hmm so i've been no.
1: attacked by dogs that were like
0: i've been attacked by yorkies and fucking uh chihuahuas i was
1: gonna say like uh labs
0: labs all <laughs> yeah. labs are so sweet until they're not until they're not apparently but yeah like pit bulls are the sweetest freaking dogs ever like their list of like banned dog breeds were german shepherds which i love pit bulls which i love um i think like dobermans mm. um but yeah they have like stupid rules like that I'm not mad about the next stipulation because it's mostly sensible. It says dogs and or cats only up to 52 pounds. Let's hope that the 52 pound thing is referring to the dogs because I don't want to meet a house cat that weighs 52 pounds. I was gonna
1: say Who has a 52 pound?
0: Cat? Right? Yeah. That's what, when I read that too. I was like, I hope you don't have that cat. Um, <laughs> the fattest cat that I've come across in my life was a 35 pound beast of a cat. What? He was very friendly, but he was just like, oh, he sat on you and it hurt.
1: Yeah, it's like a it's like toddler. It's
0: Yeah, it's a small child. <laughs> Finally, there's also a fee for pets, which is understandable. I think it's like a hundred bucks a week. Now, if you're probably saying with how old this place is and how many people have been through its doors, it must be haunted, right? Well, let me tell you about some ghosts. Mm. But before I do that, Ugh. it's Conflicting information time. Okay. According to the new owner, this place was first a private home, then an inn, then during the smallpox outbreak, it was a clinic. Since I didn't come across this anywhere else, I don't know how true it is, but okay.
1: Big ass house.
0: Yeah, it's huge. It's freaking huge. Throughout the hotel, there are iron welcome signs around the doors and places that are known to be haunted. Wait, what? Yeah, there's like these iron welcome signs next to the rooms that are supposed to be have like more activity,
1: like I guess. Like keep the ghosts in? I don't know. That's creepy. Just
0: to be like, here's a ghost, say hi. Oh. I don't know. Um honestly, I found it a little weird cuz it's not very welcoming to spirits because they supposedly don't like iron, kind of like fairies and other creatures of legend. So
1: maybe the iron's trapping them. Maybe it's a ghost zoo.
0: Maybe it is a ghost zoo.
1: Shnikes.
0: Oh my god guess joe exotic's back at it (laughs) this time lived until you pet a ghost it's zach exotic Exotic. (laughs) the owner herself said she didn't think the place was haunted but when she stayed there after finalizing the sale like after closing and everything Mm -hmm. uh that her covers were pulled off of her in the middle of the night And then when she went to use the bathroom, she heard what sounded like nails scratching on the walls and the next room over when she was completely alone in that place. She was the only one there.
1: Karen, that's a ghost.
0: (laughs) It was, yeah, weird. But she had the hotel blessed by a priest, which, as we know, never fucking works. So a few weeks later, those pesky spirits were back to their old tricks. (laughs) As far as ghosts we know of go... There's one called Sheriff who loves the ladies and wants the guest in his preferred room to be female. Gross. Yeah, he's a bit of a perv, but he was apparently very attractive, so maybe that counts for something. I don't know.
1: Moderately less gross?
0: Yeah, maybe. In life, he was said to be a womanizer, and apparently he died in room 205 after being shot outside the building in 1928. Mm -hmm. Guests have heard banging on doors and see knobs turn on their own.
1: Okay. Creepy.
0: On the second floor balcony, there is a woman in blue who is seen and then she just disappears. Thank God we have some color variety and it's not a woman in white or a woman in black.
1: Yeah, no, woman in blue. Woman
0: in blue. So that's something new for us. Uh, Guests have also heard phantom footsteps in the halls at night and report hearing someone on the other side of their doors calling someone else's name.
1: What? Yeah. So, like, you're in bed and it's like, Emily, is that you? Emily.
0: Emily. Over here, Emily. 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 Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Guests have also reported having the sheets torn off of them at night, just like the owner said. People have seen moving shadows that don't belong to anything.
1: Gross. Nope.
0: (laughs) That's a pretty standard one, it seems.
1: I don't like that one bit.
0: No, not at all, because I've experienced it. I do not like it. Guests have also reported the sound of giggling coming from nowhere. No. Another one of our favorites.
1: No. Okay, first of all, I was like, this sounds really pretty. So I can get some nice porch living in. They have a nice yeah, restaurant. Oh, yeah. Then it's like, people are going to come ask me if I'm, you know, whoever, Sharon, are you in there? Yeah. And then I'm going to hear creepy giggles and see shadows moving. Nope. Nope. We're Going back to Asheville.
0: So, <laughs> have fun driving 30 to 40 minutes. Ugh. Um, Objects are sometimes thrown around or moved and the hotel sometimes does call in paranormal, uh, like a paranormal group, to calm down the ghosts if they need to.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, they say that there's nothing like really negative in here. Just to get riled up. But sometimes just like, all right, you, it's time for a timeout. <laughs> Come on in, Zach. Yell at them some so they behave. Um,
1: They're like, here's some holy water. Yeah.
0: So there was actually surprisingly little that i could find online in the way of sources for this story and ghost stories to find although there's said to be a lot more activity here so much so in fact that they have a register in each room for guests to write down their experiences in which i think is pretty damn cool if you're going to stay there i suggest taking a look at the register in your room and if you really want to experience something, stay in room two oh five or two oh seven as they are supposedly the most active. Okay. That's pretty much it for this story, but I do also want to add that the name of the bar slash restaurant in the hotel is Spirits of the Inn. Because they're trying Spirits to like capitalize on the, the yeah, trying gotcha. to capitalize on the hauntedness of it. So Nicole. Would you stay in this one? It's beautiful, and there aren't the kind of ghosts that sit on your chest, so that's a plus.
1: I can't. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty far away from everything.
0: Well, I mean, if you want to go to Asheville, it's only like half an hour-ish. Ugh, it's so far.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, I guess I would check it out. At least I, I would, I'd want to see the porches, I suppose. Um, I mean, they're worse places to stay, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's not like you're going to get hurt at least. Fair. Not from the ghosts anyway. Maybe if there's a serial killer in town.
1: So one of those 50 people?
0: One of those 50 people in town, yes. Oh, I didn't tell you. It's a serial killer colony. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, my sources for this week uh, were grandoldladyhotel.com, Wikipedia as always, TripAdvisor, WLOS.com, onlyinyourstate.com, and visitnc.com. For my second and much shorter story. I want to take you to Bear Creek, which is in Chatham County. We pronounce it Chatham. I don't know how they say it in North Carolina. I'm assuming Chatham. Okay. It's named for a nearby creek that flows into the Rocky River. This area has a lot of farmland with uh, Councilman Farms and Phillips Farms being two of the big ones. It's also known for a gourmet food company called Southern Supreme, which is an all mail order place, it seems. And they specialize in fruitcakes. Hmm. I didn't know that anyone actually ate those. I honestly just thought that they were so hard that you just threw them at home invaders.
1: Oh, no. When you get like a nice, fresh
0: fruitcake. Really? F-
1: fruit cake. Well, it's also partially all about the fruit that's in it. Like, you get those, like, store logs where it's, like, the candied fruit. Mm-hmm. That Those can be a little gross because it's, like, one of those terrible cherries. They're, like, the green maraschinos. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Nobody likes those. Please stop making them. Yeah. And don't put them into something you call cake. That's just cruel. No. Mm-mm. But there are, I have, I have had, like, homemade fruit cakes that are really delicious because they're, like, plum-based and oh, figs really? and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. they're super yummy. They're a little boozy, too. Yeah. So it has that, like... You know, boozy, spicy. They're
0: flavor. normally hard as a freaking
1: rock, though. Yeah, those aren't good. They Like, fruitcakes will always be super moist because they have fruit in them for a reason. To if keep you moist.
0: drop it on yourself and your foot breaks, then that, that's a bad fruitcake.
1: Yeah, no. Do not eat that fruitcake. Regift it. So,
0: anyway. I really just thought they were used to terrify home invaders. And you <laughs> threw them at their heads. Anyway, the story is of the most southern-sounding thing that I could find. The devil's tramping ground.
1: I may or may not have heard about
0: this. Yes. I was just like, what the okay, that's the most southern name ever. We're gonna do this. Because everything is the devil. It's always the devil something, you know? When there's a sun shower in the south.
1: It's devil beating his wife.
0: Devil beating his wife. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yep. Lots of stuff like everything is like the devil's this and the devil's, devil's that. Because everything is so religious down there. So because of its name, I had to do this story. Even if my first story did end up being long enough, I would have still at least touched upon this place. It's a bit of a local legend. The Devil's Tramping Ground is actually a clearing where people go camping in the Harper's Crossroads part of Bear Creek. Basically, a little off State Route 1100 through town, there's a wooded area which leads to this place that's a near-perfect circle which measures 40 feet. Oh, and the name of the road is Devil's Tramping Ground Road. Fitting. So the weird thing about this place, which I'm sure is what spawned the stories and theories, is that it's just this barren section and nothing is able to grow within that circle. Hmm. It's been that way for at least 300 years. And anything they try to plant there just dies. Weird. Weird. People have also reported that if you put anything inside that circle overnight and come back the next day, it will have been forcibly thrown out of the circle. Could just be teenagers, but it may be the devil himself. According to legend, every night at midnight, the devil comes up the path and stomps around the circle, killing everything growing before leaving down another path. Like the devil? Yeah, the actual devil.
1: You would think he had more things to do with his time.
0: Well, in another tale, it said that he comes straight up from hell itself to ponder new ways of bringing evil and mischief to the world.
1: I mean, everybody needs a break.
0: It's also, unfortunately, a spot where teenagers hang out and drink and litter.
1: Oh, gross.
0: Yeah. Is so, this is
1: why we can't have nice things, teenagers.
0: Yeah, pretty much. This place is private property, so no one is technically supposed to be on it, but the people still tend to go there all the time anyway. And the ones who are brave enough anyway. The owner actually says he doesn't care if people go there and wants to share it with them since it's such a legendary spot in the area. But he does ask people to be respectful and clean up after themselves. That's fair. Which basically just don't be a dick. Kind of an awesome attitude, actually. Yeah. If You wouldn't do it in front of your mama. Don't do it. (laughs) Lots of people actively avoid the area or just won't even want to discuss it. People have also said if you're walking your dog through this spot, he or she will tend to bark at it and not want to go near it. That or they like tuck their tail and whimper.
1: Probably smells really funky if it's like a bunch of like barren desiccated plants and stuff. Yeah,
0: they just don't want to go in it. Um, People have tried to camp there, but according to my sources, they don't succeed and end up fleeing in the night. Because they get too scared. The really creepy thing about all this is that scientists have tried to find an explanation for this, but they just can't. Really? Yeah. One scientist who I read about first thought that there was too much copper in the soil. Okay. So they tested the soil and it came back normal. They did the same thing for salt because that's the usual culprit.
1: Salt will kill anything.
0: Absolutely. But it also, that wasn't the case either. They actually found when testing the soil another time after that, that according to every test, plants should be thriving in the area. Not just growing, but thriving. Weird. Yeah. Told you it would be a short story because that's actually all I have. There was very little information, very little that I could find. Uh, If any of our listeners have been there, though, I am begging you to write us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com. And tell us about your experience or anything you may have heard about it. I really want to know more about this spot.
1: Nicole, what do you think? So, I came across pictures online of this place. And I did toy with doing a story about it for my paranormal. But I didn't. So, I'm really glad you did. Because it's super fascinating. And it's weird. The ground does look like... It's not just barren. It almost looks scorched. Yeah, right. So... I think it's a fascinating anomaly. Well, there is
0: like people do have like fires, like mm-hmm. campfires and stuff That's there. Fair. So that That's could fair. be why. And the ash from the campfires is actually helping the soil.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So the soil's only gotten better since they tested it.
1: It's just, I don't know. I think it's just fascinating. Like 300 years, no plant growth in this little circle. It's like it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Super weird.
0: One source said only 100 phenomenon. years, well, but the other sources said 300 years.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I would be fascinated to go there just to check it out.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. My sources for this week were Wikipedia, WFMY News via Delaware Online, and NorthCarolinaGhost.com. So, Eden. Yes.
1: Would you go to the Devil's Trimming Ground?
0: Absolutely. I'm very intrigued by this place.
1: Yeah, would you camp there overnight? Maybe. Maybe.
0: I would probably do it. All right. You want to pay me? I'll do it more for money then for free I don't
1: get no money to pay you oh,
0: that's true we're both poor
1: <laughs> like, I'll drive you there I'll drop you off because <laughs> you
0: you're not gonna stay
1: bye I'll be at the grand old lady <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then when nothing happens at at the devil's tramping ground and something actually does happen to the grand old lady you'll run back and be like hey this happened oh I'm staying with
1: you now <gasps> this is the worst move over there's room for two in that sleeping bag
0: <laughs> all right gang well like I said before, you can contact us at RoadsideHorrorShow at gmail.com. If you want to tell us your stories, if you just want to get in touch and tell us how we're doing, just say hi, whatever. Contact us at that email.
1: You can also find us online at show.podbean.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show. Or on Twitter at Roadside Horror. And remember, uh, there will be the Roadside Horror Show Murder Ballad playlist posted to Facebook and probably linked to Instagram and on our website, of course. And on Spotify. Yeah, and on Spotify. you got to love yourselves in Spotify. So feel free to check it out, guys. Let us know if you'd like it. If you want other songs to add to it, because we can make, keep growing. Yeah, we can. If you like it, we can put together more playlists for y'all. Uh, what else, Eden?
0: Uh, well, we'd like to thank Yox Rocks Designs for our logo and E. Massey for our intro and outro music.
1: Of course, of course.
0: And seriously, any suggestions that you have, whether it be a playlist or otherwise, please let us know, because we would like to make this podcast about you. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd just love to hear you in general. Let us know. Yeah. Get in contact. Don't be afraid to reach out.
1: So until next week, Roasters, creep on, creep on. Creepin creepin on. on.